Turn in the back of your hymnals to Lord's Day 2 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We'll be looking at that tonight as there we learn about our need, our misery, our guilt, as it were. We'll be turning in God's Word to Romans 3, verse 20, looking at other passages as well, but Romans 3, verse 20, page 941 in your Bibles, in that confessional reading found on page 872. 872 in the back of the hymnal. We read this in the Word of God from Romans chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Then in Lord's Day 2, we read those three questions and answers. I'll read them for us. How do you come to know your misery? The law of God tells me, is the answer. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in summary in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Question and answer five. Can you live up to all this perfectly? No. I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Your congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the catechism is brief in its doctrine on sin and misery. Why do I put it that way? Well, because there's only three Lord's Days on this subject of guilt of our misery compared to the other sections where there are many more Lord's Days on our salvation and our service our grace, or grace and gratitude. The authors of the Catechism wanted this to be a document that was for consolation and not to be about condemnation. Though they also knew that for us to come to a place where we see a need to be comforted, we need to know the reality of the situation. First thing we need in order to experience the comfort of the gospel is to be made uncomfortable with our sin, writes Kevin DeYoung in his commentary on the catechism. We need this teaching. The first use of the law, then, is before us in this Lord's Day tonight. The law reveals transgression. The law makes us aware of our sin. Children, how do you look at rules and laws. You think to yourself, well, if I just obey them, I'll stay out of trouble, right? That's how we see laws. And I was listening carefully this morning when he was talking because I was uh, thinking about what I was going to say tonight. And he, he really talked about that uh, th- this morning in saying that Christianity is unique in that Christianity is not like all other religions setting before us rules and regulations by which to save ourselves. Christianity is unique in that it says God is the one who saves us because we cannot save ourselves. makes very clear that the law makes us aware of our sin and that we know that there's another use of the law which says this, that the Spirit-filled believer then knows the way in which to live to be pleasing to God. There is that use of the law. It also protects against evil. But here... 
tonight we think about the law in that, in that first use, and that is that when, when God sets the law before us, it reveals to us our need. It doesn't say, Here, here's the way uh, to be saved, do this uh, and you shall live. We've, that has been lost to us in that we are conceived in sin, as the psalmist says. We are dead in sin upon our entrance into this world. We cannot save ourselves under condemnation. And grace, when we talk about grace, grace is not, does not teach that God accepts our imperfect works as though they're good enough. God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who, who get halfway. We heard this morning of the righteousness of God and the, the justice of God to punish sin. God's righteous demands are that sin be punished, and that must be satisfied. We heard that this morning in that big word, propitiation. I won't review that. But our guilt being set aside can only be satisfied as Christ's righteousness is credited to our account and as his death on the cross takes away our sin, turns aside God's wrath. He came to satisfy the righteous demands of God and then to offer himself in our place that substitution to save us. When Jesus is asked about uh, the, the, the law, he says, he's asked, what is, the, what is the greatest commandment? We see it here in our Lord's Day. Question answer four, what does God's law require of us? Christ is, uh, Jesus uh, uh, summarizes that by saying the first and great commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Not just outward adherence to the commands, doing the right things and avoiding the, the wrong things, but our, own, our very heart is to be. Right, upright, true. That's what it says. That's God's work of, of redemption in us. That's what we need to be made new. And the second he says is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. We'll, we'll look more of that uh, as, as we go along here tonight. But even the most obedient cannot say that they have loved God with their whole being. This, this summary that Christ gives is not a reduction of law. It says it's not just the external. It's, it gets right to the heart of the matter. We're to love the Lord with all that we are. Even Paul understood the law condemned. It condemned sinful desire. And when he learned that, he says, when the law taught me, he says, the law taught me about sin, Romans 7. In verse 7, he said, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So he's, there again, it, the Bible's teaching us that the law reveals sin. He says, it, it said there, do not covet. He says, when I learned that, I died to self-righteousness. I knew that I, I was a sinner, that I hated people, that I, that I hated those who did not live holy, a holy life or, or seek to live the way I lived. He said, I died to any sense of self-righteousness. And then he writes this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for by the works of law, no human being will be justified in God's sight made righteous, declared righteous in his sight, since through the law, or rather, is another translation, rather through the law comes knowledge of sin. How do you come to know your misery? The law of God tells me that word misery in the original is, is a word speaking of alienation. How, how do you learn of your alienation, your separation from God? How do you learn of your position, your need? The law of God tells us the 
Word of God more broadly tells us what's wrong, why we're, why we're in, a, in a faraway land, why we're miserable, because we're not home. In ourselves, we're sinful, at odds with God, naturally inclined to hate God and neighbor. Say, well, we see kindness in the world. We see good in the world. That by God's common grace, there, there is a, a limit. God shows us uh, kindness such that we're not as bad as we possibly could be. And in ourselves, God's sanctifying grace works such that we begin to live for Him more and more. When we look at the world, we ought not to conclude, well, uh, we're just better than they are. That's, that's what makes the difference. We're a better stock. We're, we, we, we have this, this, this better uh, disposition. And so, so God chose us because he said, well, they're, they're, they're more favorable in my sight. We're all dead in sin, deserving condemnation. But God is merciful and gracious to save. And even so kind as to extend that salvation to us and to our children as he works in that way. But we do need to be raised from the dead. The natural mind, the mind that is ours by nature, is hostile to God. Paul says in Romans 8, 7, it's unable to submit to God. God gives the bad news in the beginning and says this, that sin has brought death and judgment. No one can be justified before him by the law. And if there's one thing we don't like in our culture, it's to be reminded of our, our position, our misery. We'll, we'll trumpet any advancement that, that we can point to and say, this is the way that you're going to be free from, from your misery. This is going to give you the comfort. This is going to give you peace. This is going to give you joy. And, and the, these things become empty because the issue is a moral issue. It's not creature comforts. I need to be made more physically comfortable in the world. But I need to be restored to fellowship with God. I need to be reconciled to him because I'm at, I'm at odds with him. I'm, I'm, I stand over against him and I need to be delivered from my sin. The advancements of society are only fig leaves trying to cover our need. We're separated from God under curse of death and only righteousness will deliver from deserved judgment. We naturally think that we can deliver ourselves from, from our, our feelings of, of misery or, or pain. and We think that we're going to do that by, by doing things that will make us have a better, a better sense of ourselves. And we try to tell ourselves we're good. We take up environmental causes. We take up living cleaner lives and implementing social reforms, and we, we take these up so that we can tell ourselves, well, look, look what I'm doing. I'm, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm, I'm better than most people. When I spend my money, I spend it to this cause. And, and we tell ourselves that that makes us good people. What it does reveal is that we know there's a problem, that we know that we, should, that we have things that need to be fixed, but we don't want to acknowledge that this fallen world is a consequence of our sin in Adam. We don't want to acknowledge that we're part of the problem. This is, in, in a sense, a, a, an attempt at self-justification. Look what I'm doing. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person and you should think better of me. 
But it's I who need to be fixed. It's you who needs to be fixed and to be restored. There's a story that goes around in our family. My wife married into uh, this story uh, when years ago. I'm not going to give you all the details, but when my brother and I were just little, I was going to say young men. No, we were rebellious little boys. Babysitter was watching us one night, and we were told it was time to go to bed, and we didn't think that was fair. And she said, no, you're going to your room. You, were, you need to go to bed, and, and you're going to go in your room. And we said, this isn't fair. And we showed that we didn't think this was fair by turning everything over in our room. Mattresses, pulling drawers out. No kids don't get any ideas. And she said, I called your dad. Guess what happened? Oh, the mattresses went back on the bed. The covers went back on the mattress and the drawers all got refilled, maybe not folded the way they were before, but they were put back. What were we trying to do, children? What were we trying to do? Avoid punishment and pretend like we had never rebelled in the first place. Like we had never hated authority. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. We're going to put everything back. It's okay. But the reality is we were guilty and deserving of punishment. We didn't really think about our deep need to have our hearts changed. We thought, well, if we just look outwardly good, then maybe this will all pass over. And yet we knew the rules and the law exposed our sin, our sinful hearts. Well, this, this, this subject of alienation got me thinking about this woman that's mentioned in the Gospels who, who is uh, rendered unclean in society. She wanted to be healed. Perhaps you remember the story. She, Mark tells us she had suffered from uh, uh, much under many physicians. She had gone, spent all that she had trying to be, trying to be healed. And then we read those troubling words. Not only did she not improve, she grew worse. Imagine her anxiety and her feelings of hopelessness. I've tried everything. I've gone everywhere. I've spent everything that I, can, that I have. I've spent all my time seeking for deliverance, and nothing has worked. I'm still alienated. I'm still not clean. Well, there's a feeling of hopelessness when we look anywhere for deliverance from death anywhere other than to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no hope in ourselves, no security that our doing is enough. Only as we look to the Word of God that we learn our true need, the, the depth of our need all the way to our very heart, that we say, I can't even look within. There, there's, it's not there. Even my, my best works are, are uncleanness, are as filthy rags before God. Where do I look? To God, as we heard this morning again, right? 
Don't run from him in sin. Flee to him and say, you will forgive. You can deliver. Children, do you like to go to the dentist, to the doctor? I don't. I suppose I'd go to the doctor if I knew that he was going to say everything's fine. I suppose I'd go to the dentist if they said, oh yeah, everything's fine. But, but I'm afraid he might find something and have to have more tests, or he might give me fillings or these sorts of things, so I'd rather not go. But what if there is something that I have to address? What if there is something I have to face? Then I need to go, and I need to hear that I have a need for help. Well, so it is. And the law identifies that we have a serious need. It says here, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Shows us that we have sin in our hearts and we can't remove it on our own. We don't, if we don't address it, we'll be judged for our sin under condemnation. You see, we're limited to what we can see. If we simply stay on the surface, we might, again, say, I'm, I'm a good person. I, I do this good, and I, I don't do that bad, that bad thing. But God sees the heart. He identifies that we have a need that's deeper than any person can cure. The law, the Spirit searches the heart, revealing that which is within That brings me back to the woman who tried to find healing in what the world had to offer and only became worse. That really is the, the, the situation with our relationship with the Lord. We need to hear that it is broken, that it is un, there's a chasm that's unbridgeable by anything that we do. That we, however, can go to God and He will bridge that gap. You see there in Mark chapter 5, the woman who tried to find healing and everything the world had to offer and only got worse. She heard reports of Jesus and so she went to him hoping to be healed. But the question was still nagging her. Would she be accepted? And so she didn't address him directly. She came up and simply, what did she do? Touched his cloak. And immediately she was healed. She believed she was healed. Jesus felt power going out from him. He turned and asked, who touched me? And all denied touching him. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 8 in the parallel account. The disciples were dismayed that Jesus would ask such a question, but there was purpose in it. He wanted to identify the person who was finding healing. Someone who recognized their need. Someone who recognized that they were unclean. He wanted God's grace to be magnified. Further, he wanted to have relationship with this one who was in need. Not simply saying, let the power go out and move on, but I want that relationship with this person. 
The, the further background to the story might be helpful as we, as we try to understand this. The, the, Jesus is going to uh, a man who has quite the standing amongst the, uh, the Jewish society, and he's moving there to, to help this man because his daughter is dying, and the disciples are thinking, we've got to get there as soon as we possibly can. Get there quick. This man deserves your attention. This man deserves your efforts. Why slow down for this, this crowd, this, this mob, as it were, of, of people pushing against you and, and, and slow down when there's, a, there's another need with someone who appears to be more worthy? Jesus shows that he cares about all people. And so he makes that connection with this woman. And God wants to do that with you and he wants to do that with others around you. To say, yes, I know your need. I want you to know your need. And I want you to know that I can provide. Here was this woman condemned unclean. And we're unclean before the law of God. That's the bad news. Our best works, as we've heard, are as filthy rags before God, Isaiah 64 tells us. The good news is the Son of God has come to heal and to deliver all who come to Him. That wonderful psalm that we sang that says God is able to heal. Listen to these words, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. He's dealing with your spiritual issue and ultimately your physical issue, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good. Whoever comes to Jesus, he will in no wise cast out, he says in John chapter 6, verse 37. Well, the woman found no deliverance in her efforts, in her searching among humanity, but it was when she turned to Christ, believing in his power to deliver, that she found deliverance. We're unable to save ourselves. No one is righteous, no, not one. The law reveals that. We understand then the depth of our need. And when we do understand that depth of our need, we must ask, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then what we hear from God's word is this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus We've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, having peace with God through him that we might now stand before him. That's how we deal with our alienation. That's how we deal with our misery, our separation from God. We look to him. We call upon him. He offers salvation, and he alone can deliver. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the clear teaching in your word, which exposes our need so that we might look to the only remedy, to your Son, whom you have provided as Savior, the one who is our Lord, the one who calls us to turn from our attempts at self-justification and to look to you to find in your Son our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. May we remember that when we're tempted to think that we can escape all consequence by simply 
looking around and finding someone worse than us and say, well, look what they did or look what they said. Rather, Lord, we look into the law. See there our true condition. Look into your word and to find our only hope in your son, Jesus Christ. Then may we go forth rejoicing as we believe in him and tell others of that wondrous salvation, that wonderful freedom that we can have in him. Hear us. We ask it in your son's name. Amen.